episode 17 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About Healthcare Reform. This is the fourth and likely the final episode regarding healthcare. Do me a favor and share the show with your friends. If you are having a discussion about the truth in general, Obamacare, prayer, the Supreme Court, or healthcare reform, please send your discussion partner the link to the specific episode. I would appreciate it if you would give the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. You can do that by finding and clicking on the podcast app icon, hit search, type TruthQuest Podcast, click on the logo, scroll down, and hit the five-star rating. Also, please consider supporting the show financially. All donations will be used to expand the reach of the show. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for the link to the support page. And finally, please join the conversation at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. The easiest way to stay up to date is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. This episode follows on the heels of episode 9, 12, and 14. In episode 9, we discussed the history of healthcare reform in America. It was a how-do-we-get-here episode. In episode 12, we reviewed socialized medicine and found out it's not all it's cracked up to be. And in episode 14, we walked through the failings of the Obamacare law passed in 2010. As discussed in episode 9, the reason the American healthcare system is in such a mess is because of decades of government intervention and the third-party payer system. If we reduce government involvement and bring back capitalistic free market principles, conditions will improve. It's almost guaranteed. In a nutshell, real healthcare reform can be accomplished by encouraging a patient-centered, market-based system that eliminates or at least minimizes government involvement in the system. True to the title of this episode, I want to walk you through some concrete examples of how the American healthcare system can be reformed. As I walk through each step, please consider the government's role in each one of them. The light bulb moment for me when it comes to this topic occurred after having a conversation with a friend several years ago. He had been sick for over two weeks. When we met, I asked him what the doctor said. He said, I didn't go because I don't have insurance. I asked him, what do you do when your car breaks down? He said, I take it to the shop. I said, so you allowed your body to get run down and lost two weeks from work instead of spending a hundred bucks going to the doctor and getting an antibiotic? His reply was simply, yet reluctant, yes. Playing off of that conversation, let's put the cost of healthcare into its proper perspective. So when your car needs new brakes, do you keep driving it until the rotors burn up? Do you go to the local repair shop and make a $15 copay? Or you pay out of pocket after shopping around in, in the competitive marketplace. In other words, you don't, you don't call your state farm agent for an oil change or car washes. How much do you spend every year on your cell phone? Do you make a copay or do you shop around for the most competitive service given your needs? How much do you pay every year for cable or satellite TV? Do you look for the government to pay for it? Do you make a copay and a third party pays the rest of the bill? When your dog or cat gets sick, do you go to the local vet and make a copay, or do you call around and make, get a referral to a competent veterinarian and pay out of pocket? How much do you spend every year eating at restaurants, Starbucks, lawn care, vacations, travel, entertainment, your boat, your lake house, beach house, your motorcycle? See, the problem is we have been conditioned to think that we should not pay for our own health care. Maybe we should spend less on the things I mentioned and save some of that money to pay for our health care. 
So this leads me to the first concrete example of how to reform healthcare in America. In my book, Critical Thinking, I named this chapter, Pay for Your Own Damn Healthcare. This essentially involves the dismantlement or elimination of the third-party payer system and moving towards a patient finance model. In other words, it is a simple recognition of human nature. More on that in a minute. Did you know that in 1960, consumers paid about 47% of overall healthcare costs out of pocket? In 2006, consumers paid only 12%. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's great news. Less money out of my pocket is good. If you think like that, you would be wrong. A 2009 study from the National Center for Policy Analysis explains why. Long before a patient enters a doctor's office, third-party bureaucracies have determined which medical services they will pay for, which ones they will not, and how much they will pay. The result is a highly artificial market plagued by problems of high costs, inconsistent quality, and poor access. And you may ask, what's the alternative? The study goes on to explain that in healthcare markets where patients pay directly for all or most of their care, providers almost always compete on the basis of price and quality. And because they are not trapped in a system that pays for predetermined tasks at predetermined rates, providers are free to repackage and reprice their services just like vendors in other markets. Cosmetic surgery is rarely covered by insurance because providers know that patients must pay out of pocket and are price sensitive. Prices typically drop over time. Okay, so you probably will not be surprised to know that since the 1990s, the price of medical care has risen twice as fast as the rate of inflation, while at the same time, the price of cosmetic surgery has risen less than the rate of inflation. How is that possible? Devon Herrick of the National Center for Policy Analysis explains, a primary reason why healthcare costs are soaring is that most of the time when people enter the medical marketplace, they are spending someone else's money. When patients pay their own medical bills, they are conservative consumers. Economic studies and common sense, and I would throw in human nature, confirm that people are less likely to be prudent, careful shoppers if someone else is picking up the tab. Thus, the increase in spending has occurred because third parties, employers, insurance companies, or government, pay almost all the bills. So the way to get to this state is to have price transparency. Can you think of any other industry where the customer has no idea how much the service or product they're buying costs? The most important thing to do by far is to require medical service providers to make public their prices for all their procedures. Most medical facilities have no reason to post their prices. Why shouldn't we walk into a doctor's office and be presented with a list like we do with your average auto mechanic? Break job, $250. Stitches, $75. Oil changes, $25. X-rays, $60. The Surgery Center of Oklahoma, for instance, posts prices on their website. Currently, a knee replacement costs $15,000. A mastectomy, $6,500. Rotator cuff repair, $8,200. Once prices are known and can be compared, competition, capitalism's not-so-secret weapon, will immediately drive prices lower. This will drain hundreds of billions of dollars in excess charges out of the system. Posting prices will also force hospitals to become more efficient and innovative in order to stay competitive. Any politician who pontificates about reforming health care without talking about making prices public is carrying water for one or more of the powerful lobbyists that have stymied real reform, such as the American Hospital Association, the American Medical Association, and healthcare workers' unions. If patients paid a larger percentage of medical costs out of pocket, medical, pri 
medical providers would, by simply following the law of supply and demand, lower their prices and seek ways to make their medical practices more efficient. Think about it. If you need an MRI and you are financially responsible for the cost, you would not automatically go to the one that was recommended by your physician. You would make a few calls and or do a little research and find the least expensive MRI provider. The second concrete example how to reform healthcare in America is to reduce government regulations. Now this one is huge. I'm going to focus on two items here, certificates of need and licensing requirements. To explain certificate of need, I'm going to quote David Youngberg from an article he wrote for fee.org. You can see the show notes page for that article. Youngberg, Youngberg said, Take a moment to imagine that opening a restaurant required you to demonstrate that your community needs another place to eat. Now imagine in such a situation that if regulators grant you permission, current restaurants, your future competitors, could challenge and ultimately block you from opening your restaurant. The National Health Planning and Resources Development Act of 1974 Sorry while I digress, but that sounds like something straight out of George Orwell's book, 1984, or the former USSR, National Health Planning and Resources Development Act. Good grief. Back to Youngsburg. The act required all states to have some form of certificate of needs in place. Though Congress repealed this, re this requirement in 1987, two-thirds of all states still have a certificate of need program. Okay, so anything resembling a certificate of need in any state needs to be repealed immediately. If someone wants to build a hospital or clinic, the state should do everything in its power to help them get established and not create obstacles and roadblocks. What about licensing requirements? In his book, Capitalism and Freedom, Milton Friedman had this to say. Licensures has reduced both the quantity and quality of medical practice. It has retarded technical development both in medicine itself and in the organization of the medical practice. One of the areas of the economy where governments do the most damage is via licensing. From hairstylists to realtors to everything in between, government licensing requirements act as artificial barriers to entry into the, an industry and serve to, again, artificially restrict supply and the, to, of those professionals in the market. Thus, with lower supply comes higher prices. The supply of doctors is no different. Youngberg continues, the American Medical Association makes sure that the supply of physicians is artificially low. That demand is artificially high and that physician salaries remain sufficiently lucrative. The AMA controls how many medical schools and thus how many doctors there are. It lobbies Congress to limit the funding of residencies. And worst of all, it convinces state governments to make sure only doctors can do most of the work as opposed to physicians' assistants, nurse practitioners, etc. Murray Feldstein, another writer at fee.org, said, A baseline of preclinical knowledge is necessary in anatomy, chemistry, physiology, and pharmacology. Why should it matter where the applicant for the medical license learns these things? Standardized tests can be administered to ensure an applicant is fundamentally grounded. In other words, it is counterproductive and ill-serving to the general public not to allow more workers into the medical field without requiring 8 to 12 years of education. Even foreign doctors with years of experience in their home countries have to redo their residencies along with taking a slew of exams before they are allowed to practice here. He continued, liberalizing licensing laws should save billions in healthcare costs every year. Doctors are some of the highest paid professionals in the country. 
Requiring them to handle routine care is like requiring mechanical engineers to change a car's oil. Speaking of doctor's salaries, a 2009 Forbes article argued that excessive doctor's salaries due to artificially reduced supply of doctors in the market adds to the rising cost of healthcare. Think about the uproar when Walmart first talked about putting health clinics in their, st- in their stores. Who raised hell about that? Before we leave this topic of government regulations, I think it's important for you to understand that according to Robert Samuelson in a published study at the National Bureau of Economics Research, there are in the neighborhood of nine times more clerical workers in the healthcare industry than there are physicians, and twice as many clerical workers as registered nurses. I will admit that while every industry needs paper pushers and phone answerers, does anyone really believe that we are being efficiently served by an overabundance of clerical workers in the healthcare industry? That is simply unnecessary overhead that gets paid for by higher prices. The third concrete example of how to reform healthcare in America is directly related to the reduction in licensing, but I want to highlight it separately. That is to encourage alternative medical practitioners. The traditional medical industry lobbies state legislatures all over the country in an attempt to make it more difficult for alternative medical practices to stay in business. A true free market healthcare system would encourage all types of healthcare practitioners into the field in order to give the people a variety of options. Nurses, midwives, physician's assistants, and practitioners of alternative therapies such as chiropractors. Several years ago, the North Carolina legislature passed a law restricting the nature of medical activities that can be provided without a medical license. The law put medical professionals who were helping people in the community via alternative measures like extensive blood work analysis, detoxification techniques, acupuncture, biometric readings, out of business. Why? Well, the legislators who voted for this garbage legislation said what they always say. We're protecting the community from quacks. But in truth, they deprived their citizens of a valuable service, one that was being performed via a mutual agreement between adults. That's how powerful the medical lobby is. The fourth concrete example of how to reform healthcare in America is to promote and encourage the use of healthcare savings accounts. This works in concert with the pay for your own damn healthcare concept. There are two major benefits to HSAs. First, the savings are tax free. The other benefit is the patient is actually paying for the services rather than a third party. This goes hand in hand with using high deductible catastrophic policies rather than the prepaid medical policies so prevalent today. In a speech at Hillsdale College, author John Steele Gordon said, A generous health insurance policy more or less covers everything from a sniffle to a heart transplant. It shouldn't. An insurance policy that covers routine care isn't even an insurance policy. Properly speaking, it is a very expensive prepayment plan that jacks up premiums. Just as oil changes are not covered by automobile insurance, Annual flu shots and scraped knees should not be covered by medical insurance. One way to achieve this would be for employers to provide major medical insurance plus a healthcare savings account to take care of routine healthcare. If the money in the account is not spent on healthcare, it would be rolled over into the employee's 401k at the end of the year, giving him an incentive to shop wisely for routine medical care. The fifth concrete example how to reform healthcare in America is to allow people to buy health insurance across state lines like we do for all other insurance. Competition breeds better service and better pricing. 
If you think the free market cannot fix the problem, you are obviously unfamiliar with the market of LASIK eye surgery, elective cosmetic surgery, privately run urgent care facilities, and services such as portable MRI machines, all of which must compete in the free market for customers, and all of which seen dramatic price reductions over the last decade. Sixth, remove government-imposed mandates on health insurance companies. Let people buy an a la carte policy or a major medical policy rather than forcing the insurance companies to cover every ailment under the sun. When Obamacare was passed, there were already over 2,000 state mandates on health insurance carriers. We need to encourage the states to relax their mandates and allow their citizens to choose for themselves. If I want to buy a policy that only covers cancer and heart disease, let me do it. Forcing the insurance companies to cover maternity care, drug rehab, and any number of other medical conditions just raises the price, which is passed on to the policyholders. Seventh, implement portability rules and guaranteed renewability. You should not have to be dependent on your employer for health insurance. Just like with life insurance, you would buy a policy that sticks with you for your entire life regardless of your health. As long as you pay your premiums, the insurance company cannot kick you off the policy because of your health. The system we have now when you lose your insurance and when you change jobs is ridiculous. The insurance should stay with the person, not the employer. When you get a new job, you do not lose your car insurance. Why should you lose your health insurance? The other problem that portability solves is cash flow for the insurance companies. Younger customers may, will pay premiums for 30 or 40 years. Those premiums allow the insurance companies to have the cash on hand to pay for the sicker, older customers. Remember what the purpose of insurance is, to spread the cost of a catastrophic event among many people. Many people paying a nominal amount of money to cover an unlikely event, whether that be a major medical situation, natural disaster, or house fire, gives the insurance companies a large pool of money from which to pay for these unlikely events. What we have in America is not health insurance, but more like prepaid medical coverage disguised as health insurance. It should be about risk management. The eighth concrete example of how to reform health care in America is to pass tort reform. Former Congressional Budget Office Director Douglas Elmsdorf explained how tort reform could reduce the health cost of health care this way. Tort reform could affect costs for health care both directly and indirectly. Directly by lowering premiums for medical liability or malpractice insurance, and indirectly by reducing the use of diagnostic tests and other healthcare services when providers recommend those services principally to reduce their potential exposure to lawsuits, in other words, defensive medicine. The CBO's analysis concluded that enacting comp comprehensive liability reform would reduce healthcare spending by tens of billions of dollars per year. One way to push through a form like this is to get rid of the so-called American rule where both sides pay their own legal expenses regardless of outcome and possibly adopt the English rule, where the loser pays the expense of both sides. Ninth, allow and encourage citizens with pre-existing conditions to join large pools and spread the cost. If we implement portability rules and guaranteed renewability, this problem becomes a moot point in a couple of decades. But in the meantime, there, this is a decent solution because it still spreads the risk. Prior to Obamacare, many states handled this via high-risk pools, which are run through private insurance companies, but the states subsidize the premiums and take care of their own. High-risk pools are proof that the states can take care of their own people without the benevolent, omnipotent federal government's assistance, i.e. Obamacare or any other socialized medical scheme devised by politicians.
One final note about pre-existing conditions that may be hard for some of you to swallow is people with pre-existing conditions should expect to pay more for their health care than a healthy person because they use more of it. Tenth, encourage employers to convert from a defined benefit to a defined contribution plan. So instead of in the employer automatically providing health insurance to their employees, they would offer workers the option to receive a tax-free cash equivalent of the cost of insurance. This means the employer would pay their employees a little bit more and the employees would buy their insurance privately, independent of the employer. So instead of having seven or $800 a month withheld from your paycheck to pay for health insurance that covers a bunch of stuff you don't want or need, you've got the money in your paycheck and shop for your own insurance. So that's $8,400 or $9,600 a year. You could put a large chunk of those dollars in an HSA and buy a catastrophic policy for next to nothing. This would help establish the practice of policy portability and it would drive the price of insurance down as employees are forced to shop for affordable insurance. If they find a policy that is less than their employer's payout, they pocket any money left over. With millions of workers shopping for inexpensive insurance, market forces would drive current insurance providers to pivot their business model to cater to these new customers, and it would encourage new entrants into the health insurance industry. Could you imagine what would happen to the price of health insurance if insurance giants like Geico, Progressive, State Farm, and Allstate offer health insurance nationwide? Couple that with the hundreds of new innovative companies that would jump into the market. It's a recipe for success. 11. Provide the tax benefit to the individual rather than the employers. Currently, employers get the benefit of the cost of health insurance for their employees. They write it off as an expense. Instead, give the deduction to each individual taxpayer, just like self-employed individuals currently do. 12. Reduce fraud. Regrettably, many government health programs are riddled with fraud. Some estimates suggest that as much as $60 billion in Medicare spending may involve fraud. If you get government out of the business of health and care, the fraud goes away. The 13th concrete example of how to reform healthcare in America is to encourage the establishment of alternatives to traditional health insurance, like direct care and medical cost sharing programs like Liberty HealthShare or MediShare. With the former, you pay a flat monthly fee depending on age, like a gym membership. For that flat fee, you get home visits, work visits, office visits, and technology visits with your doctor. Usually there are no co-pays. Any procedure that can be done in the office is included, you get wholesale pricing on medications, labs, imaging, and pathology. This addresses a number of problems in the current system. It reduces administrative costs, eliminates the third-party payer, offers transparency, and builds personal relationship with your doctor. With the medical cost-sharing groups, you pay a monthly fee, which goes directly to another member's medical costs. You still have in-network physicians, which means you still get the benefit of the in-network pricing, but it protects you from catastrophic events. This also applies to the pay for your own damn healthcare concept. And finally, permit people to opt out of the government run systems. No Medicare and no Medicaid deductions from your paycheck in return for no government aid when it comes to your healthcare. As you can see, there are many practical steps that can be taken to fix the American healthcare system without regressing to a socialized medical system, but it requires an educated and knowledgeable citizenry who can engage their elected officials and force them to propose these changes. Please remember to join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.